0: Essentially what turnkey real estate means in the investment world is they're properties that are purposefully bought, rehabbed, and made rent-ready for investors to buy. It's not the same as just buying a house out of the MLS that might be ideal for an owner-occupant and is ready to go. It is an investment property that is ready for a tenant to move into.
1: This is The Fighting Entrepreneur. The podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to change the world. Learn how to start, build, and scale a business
0: in today's highly competitive business environment. Here's your host, the fighting entrepreneur, Anik Singhal.
1: What's up, you crazy fighting entrepreneurs? Guess who it is? Your favorite person in the whole wide world. Back with another Awesome fight in the ring. Today is with a real estate mogul. I know. Um, well, she is compared to me for sure. Okay. We don't talk real estate really on this podcast. You're going to see me expanding the horizons of the fighting entrepreneur. Why? Because I'm expanding my own damn horizons. So I'm bringing you along for the journey. Listen, for the last by year and a half, maybe two years now, um, I've been very focused on investing. Um, and I think that's the place I've hit with my life, right? Where it's like, we've made a ton of money. And I'm still making a ton of money, but now it's really time for that money to go make me money so that I can go out and just drive my cars and have a good time in life. And as I started doing that, I've looked at all of the different fields out there, crypto and, you know, real estate and investing and stocks and, gosh, there's NFTs. There's everything out there. Nothing has won my heart the way real estate does. And we'll talk about why in this episode. And so just so you know, I am practicing what I am preaching. I have bought a ton of real estate and all kinds of funky types of real estate over the last couple of years. And the reason I don't talk about that on this episode is because a lot of what I'm buying right now is so custom fit for me my tax strategy and my family and and just how I'm working my whole strategy. It's completely not fitting for most people. However, there is always a type of real estate that is fitting for people. So today I've got with us a guest and we're going to talk about how she's helped her clients now generate a hundred thousand dollars a month in passive income with something called turnkey real estate. Now, this is a term that I never understood what it meant. And the day I got introduced to it, I feel like I'm surrounded by it now. Turn key residential real estate. So we're gonna ask her what that is. And I'll tell you right now, every one of you that's listening could participate and actually start buying real estate if you want from her. I know she lists some all the time. And so it's gonna be a really fun episode. We're talking to Devin Johnson today. She's sold and bought and been a part of over $100 million in real estate transactions in the last 10 years. She's been an investor. She's had a property management company. She's been a realtor. Um, and now she's currently helping people buy turnkey real estate. She's She's helping people build passive income. She's done $18 million in sales in the last one year alone. So she knows something. That's all I could tell you. She knows something you can learn from her. So it's going to be a really fun episode. Make sure you're ready to take notes. And hey, if you're on YouTube right now, smash that subscribe button, like, thumbs up, leave a comment. And if you're listening to us on any other podcast, you can find us at onicpodcast.com. all the various platforms. Make sure you subscribe. So with that said, Devin, thanks so much for being here. It is an honor to have you uh, on this episode. Um, And personally, you know, I've been following your journey now. I think we spoke about six, seven, eight months ago. Um, and any day now, I'm going to jump in. Um, and I, I just, this is interesting. I want to start right by asking you a question. And that is, what the heck is turnkey real estate? I know everyone's thinking of that right now.
0: It's a great question. And, uh, you know, I had been a real estate professional for probably six years before I knew really what it was. I had never heard of a turnkey model. Um, essentially, what turnkey real estate means in the investment world is their properties that are purposefully bought, rehabbed, and made rent ready for investors to buy. It's not the same as just buying a house out of the MLS that might be ideal for an owner occupant and is ready to go. It is an investment property that is ready for a tenant to move into. Uh, there's a couple different business models out there for turnkey providers. Some turnkey providers do the whole thing soup to nuts. They find the deals, do the rehabs, put the tenants in place, and they do the ongoing management. There are some companies that try to position themselves as turnkey companies, and they're really more brokers that are finding deals and trying to connect those with investors. Um, so to me, a true turnkey model is a company that's basically providing a product that is ready to go for an investor who's not able willing, uh, to do, you know, to do a rehab, which is, you know, probably a lot of folks in your audience. Yeah. That's
1: me too. Um, I don't want to,
0: you know, you're busy. You have multiple businesses that you're running or, you know, even high income earning W2s like doctors. Um, most of those guys, ER surgeons, they do not have time to be running around trying to manage a rehab. Or if you live in a market where the numbers don't make sense for investment property, and you want to buy rental property, long-term rental property. Say you live in Denver, but you really want to invest in Cleveland, Ohio, or Birmingham, Alabama. Like, how can you do that from a distance safely? Yeah. Uh, the answer, in my opinion, is to find a solid turnkey provider that can basically give you a product that's that's good to go.
1: So it's it's interesting. You mentioned you know a couple of things that right out the gate hit me. So for example, Maryland. I live in Maryland. I I can get about a one and a half percent annual return on my money if I want to buy property and rent. It's like the worst market to do that in. So we're looking, obviously, to buy in other markets. The second thing that's hilarious that you mentioned, so my wife is a real estate professional. It's part of our tax planning strategy. She's a realtor, she's a real estate professional. And in real estate professional status, you need to accrue hours of actively managing and doing real estate. So one of the houses we walked in, this is a funny story about a couple years ago, we walk into this house, this place was destroyed. It was beat up. There was actually a motorcycle parked in the family room inside this house. Like that should start to give you an idea of what it looked like. I walk in, I'm like, imagine what could be. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. This will take like a hundred hours to fix. I wasn't even done speaking and my wife drags me the heck out of that place. She's like, we're not buying a fixer upper. It's not our thing. I love the idea because you're absolutely right. I'm very busy. I love my main business. It's where I it get my highest ROI. I enjoy it. I don't want, I do not want to answer the phone from a, um, a, like a, someone who's living in my, like, you know, the broken bathroom or a broken, yeah, tenant. That's the word I was looking for. So for me, when I learned of turnkey, I was really interested because of exactly that. It's a property. It's ready to go. If you buy it in the right area, if you get connected to the right people, they'll even connect you to property management people. So a couple of quick fireball, like spitfire questions, and then we'll get more into the strategy. Number one is which of the two are you? Are you, do you, do you guys do property management too? Like can someone come to you and buy and then just forget, or do you get the houses ready to go and then it's up to the client to take it from there?
0: We have property management partners in the markets that we're active in. Something that's really different about the company that I'm with uh, versus a lot of turnkey providers that I find is there's a lot of companies that are turnkey providers. Their primary objective is to flip as many properties as possible. We are a little bit different. We're primarily a portfolio builder. So we're looking in a couple markets for deals that make amazing rental properties. The majority of the ones that we buy and rehab, we actually hold on to. Uh, and then some we sell as turnkeys. And we have property management relationships set up in those markets. So we're providing basically a white glove service. Uh, property management is not in house, but it's because we're doing it for ourselves. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to like throw anybody under the bus, but there's some there's a lot of companies out there that their main objective, their whole business model is just to flip as many houses as possible. Um, And we're a little bit different because our main objective is to build our own portfolio and we only sell some as turnkeys. Uh, But we do have from beginning to end service available. I think it's really difficult for an investor if you. Say you hire a real estate agent in in a market like I live in Denver. I want to buy something in, I don't know, Cleveland. So I start googling. I look for an agent in Cleveland. I call them and they tell me, oh X X Y and Z are great rental properties, and then they have a referral for you for a property manager. It's like, how do you really know if the whole process from beginning to end hasn't hasn't been vetted? You know? Um, Yeah to me, that's just a little bit more risky. You can do it that way, but, um, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of opportunity for some surprises to kind of pop up. If you don't really know, like how does that real estate agent really know that's a good rental property? And how do you know that is a really good property manager that they're referring to you to?
1: So you're, you are in the markets that you're selling in. So it's like you and wealth cap, you guys own properties. You're using the same property managers to manage your properties and you're passing that off to your clients. Um, we're, and for anyone who's wondering what the heck's going on, we're going to step back. We're going to go through the whole process. We're going to make you, I'm going to help you understand, you know, what returns and all of that. I'm going to ask Devin all these questions. Just next question, because I know this comes up a lot. How much money, because we're talking real estate, the first thing that happens when we talk real estate is people immediately think, oh my God, I have to have, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to play. And maybe that's true. I'm, I'm asking you. What's, the, what's like the minimum someone can have in order to start get dipping their feet and getting passive income with real estate built?
0: Realistically with turnkey, um, I would say you, like, you probably need, depending on the kind of properties that you're looking at, there are some out there that are you know around 100K purchase price. Um, we focus more on like 170 to 300. So realistically, like you need probably 30, 40K in order to okay. to get a loan with a twenty percent down payment, um, okay. could you use hard money, hundred percent financing with a, a long term strategy? In theory, yes. Would most people recommend it? No. Yeah. Too risky. So.
1: So for everyone listening, I'm going to spend the next five minutes asking questions that are very relevant to those who are just getting started, right? So for example, right now, if you don't have thirty dollars or $40,000, that doesn't mean this isn't right for you. Just pay attention and listen. Maybe you, that gives you a marker to move towards and save up to. The last half of this episode, I'm going to be very selfish. I'm going to use it for my own questions. I have questions for Devin that are relevant to my financial status. And so at least you guys will get a chance to hear both sides. So Devin, let's just step back for, uh well, sorry, one more Quick question, and then we can step back and look at the model. What is a good return? So let's say, here we go. I've got forty grand. I'm buying a house. Uh, forty grand would mean the house is. God, I suck at math. Two hundred thousand. Um, so I'm buying a two hundred thousand dollar house. Turnkey. I'm going through you. I'm putting forty thousand dollars down. What is a good return for me to be aiming for?
0: Uh, there's a couple ways to look at that metric. So one of the easiest is cash on cash return. If I'm going to put 40k into it, what is my return on that cash invested? For Turnkey, I would say north of 10% is amazing. The industry standard is really around six to seven percent, um, and that can be pretty market dependent. You know, like where you are, you're you're not going to get. <laughs> You're not going to get, sorry to laugh, but you're not going to get 10% cash on cash there, most likely. Uh, there I told are you, I get like 2%. Yeah, here. ain't going to happen. Um, yeah. So cash on cash is one thing to look at. Every investor is different. So cash on cash is one. Uh, cash flow is another thing that's, that's super important to look at. Some investors get really hung up on the percentage return. Like I only want 15, 18, 20% cash on cash. Okay, well, you can buy a house that's say 95K that's rented out for 850 a month. That's gonna be about an 18% cash on cash return. However, it's probably only gonna cash flow about $125 a month after mortgage taxes, insurance and all of that. Or you purchase a property that's say 175K, your rent is 1450 your cash on cash return is probably closer to like 12%, but your cash flow dollars is going to be like $412, 430 a month. And I can only rattle so, those numbers off because I do this number crunching all the time. Like I just put some of these <laughs> examples together. Okay.
1: So cash on cash, everybody is this. If you, bu- if you put $40,000 out of your pocket down, you bought a $200,000 house, you're 80% leveraged. So the tenant is paying you rent though on a $200,000 house, not on a $40,000 house. So when she says cash on cash, you're you're getting the benefit of the fact that your rent is being calculated off of a $200,000 property. And then however, being divided by 40,000, because that's the only money that you put out of your pocket. So you're cash on cash return is going to be higher. Um, and cash flow is she's simply referring to the amount of money, the hard money, no percentages, just the actual cash being put in your pocket at the end of month um, that's net after all the costs, right? Because you got to pay the loan back, you got to pay taxes and you got to pay for repairs and stuff like that. Um, okay. So now I'm ready to take a step back. Walk. Let's say we've got someone who's completely new, Devin. Someone just called you and they're like, hey, Devin, so I heard you help people make money. You know, how do you do it? I'm sure you've got like a, a spiel you give, right? That kind of, that just kind of gives everyone a high level overview of this strategy. Give us that spiel, because I've heard it. By the way, the reason I, I know it, because I've, I've heard Devin give it, it's awesome, and it really does describe everything in detail. So please take it away. What is this model?
0: Yeah, uh, so I'll give you a super condensed version. Um, What we do is basically we've identified a couple main markets where the numbers really work for rental properties. Those are areas where you can get north of a 10% cash on cash return, or another way it's sometimes measured is a cap rate, like six and a half uh, or better is essentially what we're looking for. Uh, So in these markets, anytime we come across a deal that meets our criteria, if it meets our buy box... And this is also the buy box for what we want to hold in our own portfolio. Uh, and we're doing, you know, 25, 30 of these deals a month. Anytime we come across a deal that fits our criteria, essentially, we're going to go ahead and buy it. The first thing we're looking at are, can the investor, whether that was you or us, get that 10% cash on cash or better? The next thing we're going to look at is, is this an area we really want to invest? Is this a neighborhood we, you know, we want to build in? So. We're not really you know, buying in a lot of your A, A-plus type neighborhoods. Those are like your gated communities and HOAs. More often than not, with those added expenses, that's where you're going to get those 1% <laughs> and 2% returns where it's just you're not going to have enough cash coming in to offset variable expenses in, uh, in those kinds of neighborhoods more often than not. And then the opposite end of the spectrum, DNF type neighborhoods, that's usually where the numbers look really, really good on paper. <laughs> That's where you're getting $900 in rent for a $60,000 house, but you're in the hood. So <laughs> we don't really want to buy in those areas. Our property managers don't want to go there. Our rehab teams don't want to go there. I don't want to go there either. And just from personal experience, you know, having tried um, some of those types of neighborhoods, the... Uh, the returns (laughs) are not worth the headaches that come with it. So we focus mostly on, you know, B type neighborhoods, like your average suburban type areas. Uh, So the two things we're looking at first are, do the numbers make sense on paper? Is this a good neighborhood? And then third, we're going to look at what does the rehab look like on this property? You know, most of the time, what we're looking for are, I mean, we're looking for a deal. It's not what you're going to find in the MLS. um, So something is wrong (laughs) more often than not. Something is either wrong with the house or something is wrong with the person selling the house. So we're gonna have a professional inspection done and determine exactly what work needs to be done to this house. Are there things that are out of code, health and safety concerns, things of that nature? Next, we're gonna look at what improvements can be made that will increase the rent rate. Can you add a bedroom or add a half bath anywhere that will increase the rent and increase the return? either for you or for us, because at this stage, we don't know, is this house, are we going to make it available for investors or are we actually going to hold on to it? Um, mm-hmm. And then finally, we look at cosmetic improvements. We want to be able to charge the maximum amount of rent, but with rental property, you're not going to do the same improvements that you would if you were selling a home to an owner occupant. You're not gonna put in quartz countertops and 175K house in the working class suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama. That would be dumb. Uh, You would never get a return on that investment. So once we come up with the full scope of work and our teams verify we can do everything that needs to be done within the budget that makes sense on the property, we'll move forward on the acquisition, buy the house, get started on the rehab. And then down the road, we'll decide, are we holding this one or making it available? uh so what we do is is very data-driven everything that we do so there's certain properties that we hold on to and certain ones that we let go of but basically they have to meet the same they have to meet the same criteria we're not letting go of sloppy seconds so when we decide that these certain properties are going to be sent out to our investor list every month um basically that inventory gets updated and then it's first come first serve. When an investor comes to me and they're like, yo, I'm ready to go on a house. um, I can basically hold their hand through everything that they might need. If they've never, ever, ever bought anything and they have no idea how to get financing, I can talk with them and help them figure out, can you get a traditional loan, which is the cheapest money on the market? Or do we need to look at asset-based loans or commercial-based loans? depending on that person's individual financial situation. Some people, entrepreneurs that make a ton of money but have very creative accountants, <laughs> sometimes cannot get uh, conventional financing because of the way that their tax returns or P&Ls look. That's, that, that doesn't mean no, and we're able to kind of help guide them through what might be the best fit for financing. Uh, so essentially, we assist with that, with that part, helping connect an investor with the best potential lender get them pre-approved, and then we hold their hand all the way through the buying process. Very similar to when you purchase a home to live in. Um, Basically, we have a transaction team that helps with everything. We coordinate with inspections and appraisals and help schedule the closing. The investor at the end will sign a bunch of documents. It'll feel like, (laughs) OMG, what am I doing? (laughs) There's like 400 pages in this package. Sign all those papers send a, a wire to the title company, the house fully conveys into their ownership, and we assist with handing them over to the property manager, getting the house rented out, and then ongoing, the investor is in the care of the, um, of the property manager. But basically, I'm kind of like, I'd be like your REI bestie, uh, help walking you through every step of the process. And we have, you know, sometimes super super experienced investors come our way and they may, maybe they know everything that happens, but they might want one-on-one intention, attention to like build a strategy. These are my passive income goals. What do I need to do to get there? How big of an asset base do I need? What kind of properties do I need? So, you know, what we do is pretty customized depending on what an investor needs, which I'm sure is what you're going to pick my brain about at the end here.
1: Exactly. It's going to be, I was just laughing. I'm like, that's that's what we're going to get into for a few minutes at the end. So what are the areas that like, I know that you are in a few markets from our conversation. I remember, I don't know if you're public about that or not, but like, what are the markets that you like right now that you guys are buying in?
0: Uh, Right now we are all in Birmingham, Alabama and Charlotte, North Carolina. Those are our two favorite markets. Um, if you follow, you know, if anybody follows the, the guys that own our company, you'll know where they're bullish. But Charlotte, North Carolina is probably where we are most bullish for the long, long term. That market is growing very aggressively. It's like for the whole general metro area appreciation, it's around 12% annually. Um, wow. Rent increases are like five to six percent. From last year, which is double the national average. Um, Mm. So in a market like that, that's growing that aggressively, your cap rates are gonna be lower. We're seeing a lot closer to like six, six and a half there, or cash on cash return is basically our floor is 10% for what we do. Um, Mm. national, the kind of industry standard I would say for turnkey is around maybe six, seven percent cash on Mm. cash, where 10 is our floor. So in a market like Charlotte, getting ten percent cash on cash is like hitting the lotto. You take it and run <laughs> as aggressively as it's growing. Birmingham is is a different market. You tend to get a higher cash return in that area, but it's not growing as aggressively. The appreciation is like four and a half or five percent uh, annually. So what we do, what a lot of our investors do, is they have some acquisitions that are based more on the cash advantage for the you know, the more immediate benefit, you've got higher cash on cash return, higher cash flow coming from properties in a cash driven market. And then other properties in the portfolio that are in a market like Charlotte, for example, where there's still cash flowing, the asset has to pay for itself for it to make sense. But the long-term benefit like greatly outweighs the immediate cash return. And those properties given five, 10 years to appreciate will have a ton of equity that can then be leveraged to make additional acquisitions without taking cash out of your pocket. And that's how a person's real estate portfolio can really start to grow exponentially because you're not taking cash out of your pocket anymore. And you're multiplying how much you can acquire by leveraging the equity that that tenant has paid for you for the last five, 10 years.
1: Um So for anyone who's listening right now, listen to that last bit again. There is wealth in that when she spoke about leverage and she spoke, it it cued me to talk to you about why, um, you know, why I said something earlier. And that was I've reviewed all the different kinds of investment strategies out there. And I have and I and I'm doing a lot. Crypto for me is just like. I just do it because it's fun and I don't know what the hell's going on. And I've put enough in there that if tomorrow it was completely wiped out, I'd get up and be all right, but I'm certainly not going to build my wealth plan on crypto. And there are people I know who are they're They're full blown in. And you know what, when, if crypto takes off the way they're saying they're it's going to be a great thing. I've reached a point in my life where I'm like, I'm already living the life of my dreams. So I'm just trying to sustain that. Like I don't need, so I'm all about being, being protected and safe. So, A lot of right now, because if you go to anyone in the NFT world and you're like six to eight percent a year return, they'll look at you and they'll be like, I made that in like the last 15 minutes. Like, this is ridiculous. So let me explain why I still, after having studied all those classes of investment, why I still say real estate is my favorite. Number one, and I wrote down a bunch of reasons. I actually have six reasons here, everyone, and I want you to understand these. Number one is taxes. Um, it is the one, it is the only of all the classes of investment I mentioned where there's a tax benefit to it. So for me, I can partner with the government and actually have the government pay for a big chunk of my real estate acquisitions. Um, and so that's about as far I'm going to go into this cause I'm going to turn into a whole tax episode and we can do that. But, um, there's just my account, my CPA, I remember this conversation with him six, seven years ago when I was writing a big check and he looked at me and he's like, we can get rid of this. And I remember telling him, and he was like, we need to start buying real estate. And I laughed at him. I was like, I don't want real estate. Years later, it finally clicked, and I went back to him. I'm like, what the heck? How much? You know, why didn't you tell me this earlier? And he's like, I tried to. So tax optimization around real estate is huge, and it alone can become be the reason to become wealthy. Number two, appreciation. Um, Devin mentioned that, right? So real estate appreciates. Yeah, it doesn't go up a gajillion percent a year, but it consistently chugs along um, and Three was leverage. Leverage is huge. I can go buy a property and a bank will pay for 80% of it. And right now, interest rate is stupid cheap. And then I just, the tenant pays me a lot more than what I'm paying to the bank. It just seems unfair. Having said that, yes, to leverage, you have to have good financials. You have to have your shit together, you know. And so I get that. That's a little tool for the wealthy, but you can get there slowly. Number four, I put is lendability. It's kind of the same thing as leverage, but. I'm talking about lendability in a different way, and and Devin mentioned that lending out your equity, right? So being able to, if your house is appreciated over five years, you can take that net appreciation, and lend it out, and go use that as a down payment on another house. Um, I think um, Dave Ramsey just rolled like three times in his bed right now, like. Dave, sorry, this isn't an episode for you to be listening to. (laughs) Yeah. Dave, this isn't for you, my friend. And if anyone's followed me on Facebook, you know I have a big problem with Dave Ramsey. So Um, it's secure. It's safe uh, to a degree. I just had this conversation with my wife last night where we were talking about wanting to buy this property. And I was sitting kind of thinking about it. I'm like, oh, but this, is it high? Is it low? This, And she just goes, whatever. What's the worst that can happen? It's real estate. You know, maybe we'll lose a little bit. Maybe we don't. Maybe just hold it longer until the market recovers. And I was like, wow, you really can't talk like that about other classes of investment. Like, that's really a real estate thing. And last but not least was cash flow. So that's a perfect segue to the topic I want to talk to you about. So Devin, so cash flow for anyone that understands, how would you like to be able to have an income that just comes to you at the end of every month and you don't have to do a damn thing for it, right? And that's, that is been for me over the last year and a half. It's the best money, man. <laughs> There's no other kind of income that I saw Taylor recently. He, he posted something. He's like, passive income is the best kind of income. And I'm like, amen to that. Like, it is the best, because especially when you have property management companies. So you're not even the one calling the tenant that's like, hey, pay me. They take care of that. And if you build enough of that, so if you're currently working and you're making $10,000 a month on, on your job, that's not, that's a lot of money. That's not like, you're not going to get that easily. Well, In real estate, it's only a few properties. I mean, and you could actually replace that. So those are my top six reasons why real estate just, it checks off every box. Um, Now, cash flow income lends itself into what I wanted to talk to you about, Devin. When we spoke, the only reason I've not acquired a property yet is that I'm out there acquiring commercial properties right now that are much more expensive because my goal is $100,000 a month in passive income. Um, and I'm I'm working very hard towards that. What scares me about residential properties is the volume that you have to purchase in order to get there. And then with volume, I find always comes some form of complication, even if you have property management companies, you're still collecting rent, you have to track it, you have to report it, accounting, and blah, blah. What am I missing? Because, and this is a question I'm gonna ask Taylor as well, because Taylor's coming on, he's gonna be on a podcast soon, and he's he's gung-ho about this, obviously, for me, I'm, I look at residential and I'm like, Ugh. and that's a me thing. Again, if you're watching, it might be perfect for you. But for me, I, I, I get a little scared about building to my 100,000 a month, 500 bucks a to, uh, at a time. And I'm talking net, by the way, everyone. So talk to me, what am I missing? Or maybe I should be buying bigger houses, more expensive houses. What, what is the advice that you give to Taylor on this topic?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. You know, And I think um, a well-balanced portfolio is really important. Uh, some things to think about with residential, whether it's single family or small multis, like two, three, and four units, um, that average house in the average neighborhood, in the average price point, those assets are so easy to liquidate if and when you ever need to. Uh, versus mm-hmm. when you've got large commercial property, if the poo were to hit the fan at any point and you needed to liquidate, there's just fewer buyers that are going to be looking for those types of buildings. So yeah. the you know the safety is is one thing to keep in mind. Um, also, you know the cost to acquire is considerably smaller too. Uh, so for a lot of individuals starting with residential might make sense. And then down the road, adding some commercial buildings, but there's, there's benefits to both. I wouldn't, I would never like suggest that somebody go all in on just one particular type of real estate, what that individual's goals are play in, play in a lot. But for me, like getting started, with single family for most people makes the most sense. Um, but the safety is huge. People are always going to need a place to live. Um, you're generally, you know, you're not going to have a ton of trouble getting a house rented out. If you buy, right. If you buy a shack in the middle of nowhere, you know, thinking that you're going to rent it out and it's like 500 miles from (laughs) any kind of, you know, city, then that was a dumb purchase. Um, but Sometimes large commercial buildings have vacancies for years and years and years, you know, then you may get a tenant that signs a five-year lease. And if they break that lease, getting them out and it takes years and years to get another, you know, anchor tenant, depending on what kind of a development it is, you know, uh, but how many times do you drive around and see, see shopping malls that are, you know, kind of abandoned. So especially today,
1: today's day and age, commercial scary (laughs) from that perspective. Yeah,
0: it can be, you know, COVID has shown us that retail, retail will go on uh, online. (laughs) It ain't shutting down uh, no matter what. So I I don't think that commercial is a bad strategy at all. I love it. But I also think that residential, there's, there's some safety there. Human beings will need a place to live
1: so let me ask you a question then for my particular strategy given that i want to attain about a hundred thousand dollars a month in passive income net so for everyone who's listening that include that's after all my taxes and loans and all so should would it be if i was on a private call with you would it be something like where i'd say okay 20 percent of that should come from residential you know, homes like, or is it twenty five percent, or does it not matter? So, and if we say twenty percent, like I was doing the math while you were talking, I said, okay, great. So twenty percent is twenty grand a month. Um, should I do that? And if if I'm making net average five hundred a month per house, that's forty properties. Did I kind of go down the right route, or would you say, well, that's a bigger number in my case, not in those who are listening necessarily. Would you have me acquire maybe bigger properties so it's not forty, but it's twenty or thirty, or is it about 40?
0: Yeah, it, uh, it's going to depend on the properties. So I just put one under contract yesterday. Was it? Yes? I think it was yesterday that there were, it was two single family homes on one parcel. So it's basically one, almost like a duplex, but there are actually mm. two single families on one parcel. And including leverage, that property is going to cash flow, I think like $800 a month but the purchase okay. price is larger. So for somebody like you, it might make more sense to focus on maybe the purchase price is maybe their higher end single families, or you look at some of these, you know, more expense, expensive, expensive uh, duplexes or, yeah. um, you know, some properties I had one a couple of weeks ago, purchase price was like 300 and the rent was 2300. So mm including leverage, cash flow on that is going to be significantly more than 175 k rented at 1400 No, Okay.
1: That makes perfect sense. And then um, let's say I do need to get 30 or 40 properties. In residential, the other limiting factor, and I'm wondering how you get around this. By the way, if you guys are listening right now, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to the upteenth level here. So um, enjoy it. But um, 40, I can't finance 40, um, right? There's like, a, oh, yeah. th- there's... So so let's talk about that because what my understanding is with the traditional bank, once I hit like nine or 10 properties, I can't get any more loans on on residential properties. I've always felt that's silly and stupid. I've never really picked further. But yeah, talk to me about that. Where would I go then to get past that?
0: And that's a great question. Uh, so it it's a Fannie Freddie regulation, your, your Fannie Fet, Freddie Easy for me to say. Fanny, Freddie, mortgages. Those are like your average, the the typical mortgage that you can get from any bank on any house. You are only allowed to have ten of those total. Now, there's a couple ways that you can get yourself twenty. If you happen to be married and you, uh, you know, you buy ten properties under one spouse and ten properties under the other spouse's income. So you have to have you each both have have to have income in, in order to do it that way. If your spouse is non-working, you know, I'm not an accountant or a tax advisor either. Don't sue me. But if there were a way to put them on payroll uh, so they had some W-2 income that would give a couple the opportunity to acquire 20. So there's that, but let's say you're a single dude. You're um, I've got a dude like this right now that he's about to close on his ninth. And then there's a couple things that we can do moving forward. For one, there are commercial loans are not just for commercial property. Uh, and there's a couple different kinds out there. Your small local bank, the kind that often hold paper in-house, a lot of times they underwrite their own commercial loans. Generally, your interest is gonna be a little bit higher. You may need to do a bigger down payment. Maybe it's 25% instead of 20. And maybe your interest is five instead of four or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or three and a half, like you would see on your traditional owner-occupant loan. So that's one route. Uh, there are also asset-based loans. Asset-based loans don't generally look at your debt to income. They look at a borrower's creditworthiness based on their credit score. Uh, they will look at a borrower's liquidity. Do you have the money for the down payment and say six months of reserves? The remainder of the underwriting is generally based on the asset itself. Is it going to cash flow? These types of loans you can't get on a house you wanna live in. They're only meant for investors. And there's no limit to the number of those that you can get. Um, so okay. sometimes maybe you're not maxed out on 10 loans, but maybe you don't look good on paper, but you got plenty of cash. This was me at the end of last year. Uh, my tax returns from the previous year were not going to allow me to buy any more property, but I had you know, cash that's rotten away in the bank <laughs> with inflation. So I went ahead and got a couple asset-based loans to close on some properties at the end of the year and my interest was a little higher. My down payment was 25% instead of 20, but I was able to acquire the properties and their cash flowing, and the numbers still make sense, right? Mm. Versus holding on to the cash. So, uh,
1: when you say asset-based, it's on the asset, not on your total assets, it's on the actual asset being acquired. So it's on that house. Yeah. Ah, okay. Because one thing I do have access to is asset-based loans in the sense of my own assets. And those, those are great, but then you have to have all your assets at that place and it ties up those assets. I can't move that money around. So that's been like, eh, I use it as short-term stuff. Like, okay, I need to dive into a property really quickly, but bank's going to take three months. So I use that as a temporary loan. Um, but I, I, I did not know... Yeah, and so this is interesting. I did not know that there's asset back loans for residential. I was actually specifically told by multiple bankers that that doesn't exist, which is why I like commercial, right? <laughs> I like commercial because there is, on most commercial properties, you can get asset back loans um, for the property itself. So really cool. Well, if that's the case, then yeah, I definitely want to grab.
0: Here's the bar- opportunity. Bar. Like a lot of your average bankers, your average mortgage lenders, your average real estate agents, they only know their one thing. Yeah. You know, most real estate agents don't know really how to help investors get creative financing. They don't. Yeah. And yeah. your average banker, like they don't know about the kinds of loans that they don't do.
1: No, it's very they, true.
0: They don't know what's out there.
1: So here's what we're going to do, Devin. I'm going to commit to rescheduling another call with you. And we're going to go deeper and actually build the strategy side. Because quite frankly, I didn't actually know that you offered that. Now, you ended up revealing that on this podcast. So I'm going to use that service of yours. Um, because I do have a plan and I'm cool. I like residential property. I just haven't been able to dive in. And then I went down the apartment um, investing track, which was awesome. It's been good to me. But those those, con- those seminars are built off of getting everyone to hate residential investment. So you go there and you get brainwashed against it. Now that I've done a lot of real estate, I'm coming out and I agree with you. I'm starting to see that there's like benefits. And what I have found is there's great reasons to own all classes, but you better be tied to someone who knows that class and trust them. Like the kind of commercial we're buying right now, we're doing it through people we Trust who know that business, and when they look at us and wink an eye and say that's the one, we know. Okay, go ahead and move forward. So great stuff. One of the things we've not been able to cover at all this episode, and I want to, is how can people follow you, learn more about what you're doing, you know, maybe even buy properties from you. Please drop URLs and and everything.
0: Totally. There is there is one more way to get past the 10 loans too, um, which I hadn't told you about, but there's also, there's portfolio loans. So let's say somebody buys 10 properties and they want to start buying some more, but they've maxed out those 10 Fannie Freddie loans. Those 10 loans could then be refinanced into a portfolio loan where essentially you're putting all 10 of those properties on one larger loan. If you wait a little while and you've got some equity, um, you know, you might even be able to pull some cash out when you do this type wow. of refinance. And then you open yourself back up to do 10 more traditional loans. So that's, wow. okay. there's like so many ways to, to go about that. Um, so if you need to learn more <laughs> about any of that, or, you know, just want to kind of go over the process of what we do at Wealth Cap and how I might be able to help you, there's a few different ways. Um, we have a podcast, it's called Real Estate Portfolio Builders. You can find it on Apple Podcast join the real estate portfolio builders group. If you want to get right on the phone with me and, you know, see if we can help figure out a strategy for you, whether it makes sense to work with us or, you know, if it doesn't make sense, I can probably point you in the right direction. Wealthcapholdings.com backslash waitlist. will take you right to my calendar and we'll do a one-on-one, you know, um, if I can't help you, I probably know somebody who can, uh, whatever your strategy might be. That's
1: awesome. That's a really, really awesome offer. I think you're the first person ever to dare offer that on this podcast. So everyone, please, please. Yeah. Like a, uh, like actual call. So this is my request to those who are listening. Um, her time is, is worth a lot. And so let's be respectful of it. If you are in a position that you are ready to make acquisitions, absolutely. By all means. Um, I will tell you, I am on their list. I get, Weekly, you know, it's really cool, and it, a lot of it is done. And um, I have made residential investments, and they're great. We have property managers that are managing them, and it's been it's been very low. It's been very low key in the sense of we haven't had to do much, and the the returns are there. For me, I'm going to be doing a lot more of this. So as you guys are listening to this podcast over the next year, you're going to start seeing a theme in Onyx Life, which is going to be passive, (laughs) um, so that I have more time to go do fun stuff. But Devin, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And for everyone who's listening, yeah, thank you. We'll have you back for sure. Make sure you leave a comment, click subscribe, um, do all that fun stuff guys so that we can get this episode out to more people. Um, and if you, if you know, make sure you follow Devin and her work, listen to their podcast, and as I always say, when life pushes you, stand straight, smile, push it the heck back. onicpodcast.com for more binge listening. Learn.com, L-U-R-N.com to be a part of the entrepreneurial revolution. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.